podcast didn't play nobody. It's November, and now the selection committee's coming out, and we haven't played anybody. What are we going to do? Well, we got to do what Baylor does. We got to run the score up a little bit. <laughs> well played, sir. Uh, I don't even know what episode this is. It doesn't matter. Um, Love it. We're we're in the weeds now, Bill. We're in the weeds. Selection committee Tuesday night, first one of the season. Um, all of the meat of the entire season might still be in front of us, with the yeah. exception of a handful of football games. Um, it really is. Uh, um, it really is a backloaded year. We're going to talk a little bit about backloading and why it's not that big a deal. Um, because, I, okay, let me back up. Before we jump into our topics, two things happened on last week's show. Uh, one, I kind of I kind of whined a little bit about the, the weekend slate, to which you sort of offhanded replied, hey, probably weird things are going to happen because it's not a great week. Um, and you were wrong until about 9.45 Central <laughs> Time, um, and then you were very right. And then um, also I gave you a little grief about uh, I think you were going on a trick-or-treating expedition. Uh, You, sir, missed nothing. I was I was on I was on the couch at home like a like a normal plebeian college football viewer. And God, that early that early push was bad. Maybe that ties into our backloading debate. Maybe it's not so much the time of year the games are being played, but maybe 11 a.m. should just try a little harder. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's certainly something to that. Um, they're very rarely, if there are good games, especially now that we've got the primetime thing as part of the schedule. It hasn't always been that way. Mm-hmm. But we're going to have one or two big games, semi-big games at 2.30, and two or three at night. And if that's all we've got, then the 11 o'clock slate is just done. You're always going to have OU Texas at 11. Yep. You're always going to have random games like that. Um, and, and, you know, you never know when the crazy finishes are going to happen, although this year they seem to all be happening at night. Michigan home games are usually at 11. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State's been in 11, 11.30, or 12, 12, 12, 30, depending on your time zone. I mean, it's that, I don't know if that's still the case, but um, yeah, by and large, pretty much everything of substance gets pushed to later in the day. Yeah, and that's, well, I mean, I, I guess it's fine. You, you Certainly spacing things out could, you know, make for a more complete day, but, you know, we when things happen at night, we always finish the day saying that was amazing. So I guess that's probably the way to go. We forget that we were bored earlier in the day. I have not been sent to cover a game that kicked off before, gosh, six o'clock in maybe two years. Honestly, I've done well. I've done one or two uh, CBS games the last couple of years, and those are three uh, thirty Eastern. So that's it. That's that's the earliest I've 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 covered a game. Um, I have not done. I haven't done an eleven a.m. game. In fact, I was. It's part of a Texas story I'm working on for hopefully this month um, as deadlines just whoosh by me. Um, the Red River thing is so cool and unique because it's in a um, like basically a theme park. Right. It's a state fair, but it, it looks like a theme park. Um, should we have more games kick off at 11? And by the way, me even proposing this question is the most 30-something dad-ass question <laughs> in the world. I will. I spent- I spent six undergraduate football seasons, six, I'm not a doctor, like dying when that when that 11-20 kickoff was announced, dying. Yeah, I mean, when I was 28, uh, night games at Missouri were the cool, the greatest thing I looked forward. I wished every game was at night. Uh, now, I'm not going to say I wish every game was at 11. Uh, number one, that means your team probably stinks. Um, but yeah, there are worse things in the world than, than getting home by like three 30 in the afternoon, uh, from the stadium. And I, and let me tell you, 
Uh, my, the difference, even in five or what, six years, it's been six years since Missouri had a, a Thursday night game in 09. Um, that we were so looking forward to that. That was going to be such a big deal. And part of it was because it was Nebraska and, um, both teams were, I, I can't remember if both teams were undefeated or close, but it was a, it seemed like a really big game and we were really looking forward to it. Uh, now we got Missouri Mississippi state this Thursday night and I'm, I, I have to, I'm trying to talk myself. I have no reason not to go, but I, I, I kind of wish I had a reason not to go. Cause that's going to be get home at like 1230 AM after a crap game. It's going to be raining just like it was for that game six years ago. Um, this is not going to be my favorite week of the year. And I'm a dad, yes. Yeah, I think that's okay. I think it's getting harder and harder to create a awesome wall-to-wall viewing experience. Um, they, if they put the 11 a.m. games at like a 10.30 p.m. Eastern kickoff, I think we'd be doing glorious because you're so uh, tired and or drunk or both that you don't – you'll watch anything, you know? Put Iowa – Oh no! I guess I, I can't say that now. Put put like Purdue in in Northwestern at ten thirty at night. We'll watch that. We'll watch anything. I'll watch a car wreck. And and by watching you mean watch the first quarter and a half and then DVR the rest. Man, okay. For those of you who don't know, Bill basically keeps like a I'd say like a ninety year old uh, retired tennis pro's time, uh, um, like a guy or like a really. I'd say like a, a really healthy retiree who really enjoys fishing at sunrise. What time do you get up at four every day? Uh, yeah, about four or five. And what time are we hitting the hay? Uh, between nine thirty and about, but yeah, nine thirty to nine forty-five. Uh, what Pac-12 thing have you seen live? Well, see, and, and on the weekends, I will stay up all the way till like eleven. All the way. So, so, yes, I watched the first whatever half or so of Stanford-Washington State um, and then hit the DVR and, and really and, and set it for like three hours past the scheduled end time just in case. But, yes, I absolutely DVR the second half of Stanford-Washington State. I tried. I got – I think I got to like five or six minutes left in the game and just passed out. And then I'll just go back and, and pull up the Watch ESPN app or whatever I need. Um <laughs> Shout out to an enterprising. You know what? I guarantee you, there's some crossover between our listeners and people who um, put games on like Pirate Bay and stuff, like for torrent bit shares and stuff. Um, uh, if you're out there and you're a listener and you want to send me um, full games for me to use in the off season, we will get you some sort of prize. So what I'm going to do is, on behalf of Vox Media, uh, reward someone for sending me um, pirated uh, materials. So that's okay. I don't think legal listens. That was Stephen Godfrey speaking, by the way. Yeah. To send that to, what's your address? Um, okay. Uh, Clemson, we're, we feel good. We feel confident. I, I would really be surprised if Clemson wasn't the number one team in the rankings tonight. And, and partially, you know, par- partially that's me using faulty criteria. You know, it's partially me looking at the fact that in, in my ratings, in our combined F-plus rankings at Football Outsiders, they are – Far and away, number one. Um, like very, very far and away, number one. I'm, I'm, we're talking about you know Clemson's at plus sixty nine point four percent right now. That's about where Ohio State was last year. Uh, meanwhile, number two Alabama is fifty four point seven percent. Clemson and Alabama are separated by the same amount that Alabama and almost Iowa are at number thirteen. That's a huge separation, and and when you watch them, you see it. I, you know, early in the year, they they struggled to put away Louisville. You know, there was some 
That was an odd game, and Louisville had the late kick return, and Louisville's not terrible. They're not, they're not as good as I thought they might be, but they're not terrible. Um, but since then, I mean, since they, they got over that Notre Dame hump, they have, have put together an absurdly impressive set of results here. Actually moving the ball on Boston College. Nobody else has done that. But not, not, not only beating Miami, uh, between, by the way, two, Miami, two good Miami results, uh, Virginia Tech and Duke, not only did they beat Miami, they got their coach fired by winning by 58. They just went to NC State, a good team, a top 30 or 40 caliber team, um, took some, uh, you know, absorbed some tough blows and a kick return in the first half, won by 15. This is a really, really good team. And, um, I, you know, the, the Notre Dame game should help. That gives them a, a, a resume win since we know those are important. The fact that they've only played one bad team in, in Wofford. Otherwise, you know, Appalachian State's good. Uh, Louisville's not terrible. Notre Dame's good. Georgia Tech has a terrible record but loses every game by, you know, six points, and they lost to Clemson by 19. Um, you know, Boston College, Miami, NC State, all of those have quality aspects to their team at the very least. None of them are terrible, and Clemson has wiped just about wiped the floor with everybody. So... I, I, I'll i be a little annoyed if anybody else is number one. Clemson has earned it. I totally agree, mainly because I take a lot of my um, ranking and numerical things uh, from your lead, but also, hey, let me tell you something, Bill. I passed that eye test. I've seen them. Them boys know how to play. <laughs> I covered well, all my talk radio bases there. Um, I just think that if you would apply them in a blind item type situation or their resume, that uh, you would – if you took the name off and the ACC thing off, I think it's I think it's less about Clemson and more about the the, the perception of conference strength, which is also not true, uh, at least this year. I think you would have a much more unanimous, a much stronger consensus consensus around uh, college football. Yeah, and I think that's the one. You know, the committee does about twenty eight things that I hate. Um, but I think by you know not starting until this point in the year, one of the things, one of the advantages they have is that they aren't beholden to ranking Ohio State first. Um, Ohio State, by the way, has looked excellent these last few weeks. I, you know they have started to look like the team that everybody expected them to be. They just they weren't for the first half of the season, basically. Um, and Clemson's been better. Clemson's been much better from start to finish this year. Um, we know that Baylor's going to get dinged for the schedule because the committee very much believes in who you play over how you play. Um, that's one of those, whatever I said, 48 things that I hate. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I, I think Clemson's going to be number one, and I, ex- I actually have no read for what happens after that. Uh, Ohio State maybe two, LSU three. I'm not, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I, I jokingly have, have kind of hung on with Michigan State mainly because I just – like I, I report on this stuff for a living, but I don't have enough of a whole, you know, ten thousand foot view knowledge to feel like I should be making votes, and I don't get to see all the games, and I'm busy doing things, and I just, I can't absorb the entire product. That being said, I do feel better about Michigan State because I know that the committee's emphasis on who you've played, like you just said, also extends into who you schedule, and just because Oregon is in Oregon this year, I think they will be rewarded for that. Um, and my my best explanation for why I think Michigan State will – I'm not saying they're going to be in the four, but I think they're going to be higher than people expect because if you go back and look at the rankings last year, um, this, this Oregon-Michigan State series in many ways is the blueprint for the future because they got it done quickly. 
They created home and homes. They did it in a window in which both teams were going to be high level or at a high level of competitiveness. I mean, I know that hasn't really factored out. Like it hasn't gone the way Oregon wanted it to this year, but there aren't, there's so many athletic directors on the selection committee bill that I think that they're going to reward intent more than execution because you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. I just, uh, they're fostering because, and here's why I know that drives you nuts because you're looking at it from an analytical standpoint. The reason why I like it is that it is going to sort of bring the hammer down on, on schools that are just trying to kind of glide through on, on non-conference scheduling, even schools with nine, nine conference games, uh, schedules. So I like it. Um, I understand how it sort of flies in the face of, of, of the numbers, but I do feel like if you're getting down to it, I'm not saying it needs to be the number one, two, three, or four thing that you look at. If, if you've got a, a Michigan State or an Oregon last year and you're trying to figure out are they three, are they four, are they five, are they six, I think that, that should weigh a little bit in their favor, especially because it wasn't even a neutral site game. This was a, a true blue home and home. It benefited both schools. It raised their profiles, and it also created compelling television early in the season. I think all those things helped the sport. Um, also, Oregon was the first one-loss team to jump undefeateds in the selection committee's rankings. I talked about this in the just I did like a quick refresher piece that's up at SB Nation right now. And last year, I think it was the third round of voting. Oregon jumped Florida State. Of course, we all know that eventually Alabama jumped them both. And uh, the committee basically showed that they're not afraid to put a one loss over an undefeated. But the reason why Oregon jumped Florida State the week they did was they had beaten their third, uh, I think it was their third ranked team on the road that season. They had just come off of a big win at Utah. Florida State didn't have, it, it wasn't comparable. So that one loss Oregon, having lost at home to Arizona, jumped Florida State. I think that could happen. I mean, we're, we're also talking about an undefeated Michigan State team. So. I've run out of things I can stump for Sparty on. <laughs> yeah, don't stump on game control. We we know game control exists, and, and Sparty doesn't really have that one. But um, what's funny about game control is I uh, I don't get a ton of shots at the selection committee members. They're pretty guarded. But when I do get a chance at one of those ads, that seems to be the thing they're the squirreliest about is this <laughs> this nebulous concept of game control. Well, what's funny is I, I, and, and not actually funny, uh, maddening, I guess. They, they do all these things that basically go into advanced stats or the, r- the ratings that are created, you, you know, Sagarin and whatnot, or, you know, mine obviously, but a lot of people's. They, the idea of, you know, did you dominate the whole game or did you pull away late? That's game control. That's one of the things game control is supposed to measure. Uh, they, they look at horrific, uh, you know, ideas of strength of schedule when computer ratings do that already and in a much more, uh, you know, <laughs> sound manner uh they do they're going about they're, they're doing all these things that a a computer rating would do but because they don't want to be married to one or whatever system because they don't want because the the computers are so bad in the bcs era um, well some of them were well may, partially uh well i mean yes uh partially because uh they were instructed to remove margin for error by the you know to to be included in the bcs formulas uh, that rendered them terrible, and because of the ones they selected, some of the ones are, are you know, clearly terrible from the start. Uh, but they were selected, and that's you know, that's that that doesn't mean that all ratings are bad. They they made bad choices and they made good formulas bad, uh, but that doesn't mean computer ratings are bad. And so, 
Um, the fact that they're going out of their way to do all these things instead of just settling on a measure, even if it's FPI, um, you know, the, the whole idea of numbers is, the be- is that it's the best place to start a conversation. It, it strips away uh, whatever biases we might have. It allows us to start and, and then we can move from there. Like I, I wouldn't, you know, if I, you know, if, if they decided to make me a one person uh, playoff committee, I wouldn't just say, well, F plus says this. So this is what we're going with. But it's the best place to start the conversation. And um, instead, we do all this convoluted stuff that just it, it wastes time. For those of you who don't know, I had to do this for the piece where my the task for me in, in creating that refresher pre, re, refresher piece was to cut through the legalese and the jargon and just explain the process as, as, as succinctly as possible. It's, it's kind of tough. Bill, do you know how the voting works in the room? Um, I can't – don't – no, I'm I'm blanking. I've been going out of my way to not remember this robots. stuff. I've been going um, out of my way not to remember this stuff, and now I'm blanking. Uh, I, well, I I had not really paid attention to it, and you know it's been 330 days since we, we've talked about a selection committee. Um, each person comes in. There's 12 this year. Again, there's not 13. 12 people come in, and, and I can't wait until I'm done with this, and I can hear your mind sort of break in frustration i'm, I'm rolling a back away from the microphone so you can 12 people come into a room they make a list of 30 teams that they think are the 30 best teams but in no order okay in college football all right then they sit around and they go all right we've got these these lists what are the in no order what are the six best teams off of your list okay so then they're then they take again no order just the six best teams all right then they put all those teams together, the six, and that's that, that's a pool, all right? So every team that's listed, like if you, you could say Stanford one time, one person in the room could say Stanford is one of the six best teams in the country, it goes in the pool, okay? So now you have the pool. Now everyone goes around and ranks the six best teams out of that pool, all right? Everyone goes around, basically they assign points, the lowest amount of points wins because obviously one is greater than six. The three teams that are ranked highest go up on the board. So, I don't know, it's hypothetically, like Clemson number one, LSU number two, uh, Ohio State number three. Four, five, and six go back in the pool. They throw everything out back in the ocean. Okay? Then they repeat the process over and over and over again, putting up three teams at a time until they have a top 25. They put up, I think, either four or two at the end. I can't remember the math. Three times eight. Yeah, so they put up four in the last one. And that's how they create 25 teams. What's interesting this year is the recusal process. Stay with me. Stay with me. If you're driving, well, if you're actually, if you're driving or walking, it doesn't really matter. You can turn it off. I was trying to think of something witty. The recusal process is that anyone with a conflict of interest can't vote on their team. It didn't really matter last year because the only team that got voted on in the top 10 was Ole Miss, and Archie Manning had already left the committee. This year, you have Stanford with two conflicts of interest. Condoleezza Rice, who is a professor at Stanford, and Ty Willingham, whose son is employed by Stanford. And then you also have Dan Radakovich, who's the AD at Clemson. Those two teams are going to be in the top ten, I would think. We think Clemson's going to be number one. We think Stanford's going to be somewhere. You can't vote on your team. So if your team comes up in the pool 
like Clemson, for instance, Dan Radakovich, a member of the committee, has to walk out of the room and not vote on not only Clemson, but anyone in that pool of six until they bring him back in the room and the pool's over. Now, I want anyone listening, and I'm hoping that some of your, your Cylon friends are listening, I, I'm, and I'm soliciting specifically to anyone listening who's like a mathematician, like a proper mathematician, okay? Not someone like me who like has to use the iPhone calculator app to pay his bills. I'm talking about straight up, goodwill hunting, long division, writing out calculus on a, like the bathroom wall of a bar. That's all I know about being a mathematician is goodwill hunting, okay? <laughs> I want you to tell me because I, I can't – I know that that sounds screwed up. Basically – I did a piece. I, I got Bill Hancock via email. I bothered him on a Sunday night, and he was very emphatic. He was sort of less polite than he usually is about recusals having no effect. I don't see how that's possible. When Stanford comes up, and they're going to, two people are going to have to leave the room for that vote. I need to know how that screws the whole process up and, and, and what it's going to be like if Stanford or Clemson end up in that border area of like the 4th or the 5th or the 6th come December. I don't know how to prove that that, that changes things, but I, I just feel like it does. I couldn't pass business calculus in college, but I feel like it does. How are you feeling now? <laughs> this, <clears throat> oh, this is like, this is like, uh, oh my God. I, didn't, I, I mean, everyone, the whole joke being that you're an android and, you know, this just proves that you have human emotions. Because you can hate things, Bill. I everything about this from the start, from the, when they first <laughs> named the committee, everything about this has been about we're not a poll, we're not computer ratings, we've we're more, and you know I, the the number of overthought aspects of this has just been amazing. And by the way, I mean I, I understand like Clemson's AD is going to have a moneyed interest in Clemson. But I always fall back on the fact, too, that we're adults. I can talk about Missouri and where I really think they are um, without my biases creeping. I mean, I, I, I know more. Um, I have had more opinions about Missouri through the years. But if you ask me about, like, where they would rank in a, in a list of teams, because I try to be professional, I think I can actually do that pretty honestly. Um, also, let me, let me jump in and just give you one more piece of pain. As far as recusals go, Bill, and being adults, they haven't gone the full nine on this. So basically, if Notre Dame comes into question, which they are, Ty Willingham can talk about and vote on Notre Dame. <laughs> okay? And guess what? Ty Willingham could talk on and vote about Stanford, another former place, or another place he coached. His son is currently – that's the only thing that's stopping them. I'd also point out that Bobby Johnson, the former head coach at uh. Furman and Vanderbilt, played for and coached at Clemson. He can vote on the Tigers. Okay. Um, I broke Bill. I, see, I, the piece I wrote last year, it had a mantra in it that, um, that, that I, I have to rely on again this year. Three of the four will probably be obvious. Three of the four will probably be obvious. Yes. For, for this absurd ridiculous we're so much we we want to show we're more important and this is uh, that we're taking this more seriously whatever um three of the four will be pretty obvious at the end of the day last year last year was actually it's funny i've noticed people have a lot more faith in the committee after last year but last year in the end 
it was kind of the hardest situation. It was also the easiest because they weren't really going to go wrong. They could have picked any of those three teams uh, that ended up in that four slot, Ohio State, Baylor, TCU. They could have picked any of them. They would have had justification for picking any of them. Right. Um, and since they were the fourth seed, they would have probably lost to Alabama, and it would have been okay. Like even you know Baylor or TCU, the worst thing that happens is they lose to the one seed, um, and we think they did an okay job. Um, it, it won't always be like that, uh, but it, it, it does seem like you know with the small sample size, just like the Big Twelve was freaking out because um, you know we one hundred percent of committees have left us out. We need a title game. Uh, it seems like I've noticed with a lot of people, uh, maybe more on the media side, uh, they got it right last year, so they're good. They'll get it right. Uh, you know, 100% of the time, they've gotten it right. Here's uh, my favorite thing so far, is that everyone makes fun of the coaches' poll every week. And well, sometimes people make fun of the AP poll, but they really get it on, like, those stupid coaches aren't even doing it. It's their, it's their football ops guy. It's a secretary. Da, da, da. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing. I went back and looked them up. They're basically the committee made one or two changes. I'm not saying they took. God forbid they'd, they'd shoot me on sight if I implied that they took the the AP or the USA Today polls as any sort of like starting point. But look, in last year's uh, USA Today coaches poll, going into the first selection committee, number one Mississippi State, number two Florida State, number three Alabama, number four Auburn. Selection committee, number one, Mississippi State, number two, Florida State, number three, Ole Miss, who beat Alabama, and number four, Auburn. All they did, essentially, the biggest difference in the, in the top five, top six, is that they rewarded an Ole Miss team for a head-to-head matchup with Alabama because they felt that they had comparable resumes and that that was the sort of, that was the deciding factor. Which it, And I wrote in the piece, too, about the whole TCU Baylor thing, head-to-head, just I understand that they've they've contradicted themselves, but... They, it wasn't that different. So with one hand, you sit here and wag a finger at these coaches who weren't paying attention and this, this coach's poll that just really means nothing. And then we're, we're lauding the selection committee. It's basically the same thing. The rubric is very similar. <clears throat> yeah, I'm you okay? You okay? I, Do you want to talk about something else? I, I, I'm pulling up the, the end. Um, this is as pissed off as I've ever heard you. And this it's is only this, this is as quiet that, as I've ever heard you. This is the topic that always just I, – I, I, I have to remind myself that it, they're going to probably just about get it right. Um, and then screw it up. And, <laughs> so last year, at the end of the year, after, third, after the conference title weekend, mm-hmm. the, uh, the coaches poll had one Alabama, two Florida State, three Oregon, four Ohio State, five Baylor, six TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, and the playoff rankings had that exact same thing, except they flipped Oregon and Florida State. So yeah, really, it's the same thing. So really, you could have you could have a fifteen minute conference call where we say where you start with the coaches' poll and go, okay, um, let's change this. Is everybody okay with that? And I, you know, think of the millions they could save. Well, saving money has never been an impetus for anybody involved in the playoffs slash BCS slash ESPN. Hey, um, ESPN c- keeps cutting jobs. <laughs> they're cutting jobs. They hadn't figured out the causation there. Okay, <laughs> they hadn't figured out that saving money on this stupidity could could keep some jobs around. Um, I, I don't. I feel like we have to we have to delineate too that we're not indicting having a playoff. It's just that no, you, no, no, you no can, not at all. You, you can indict the system and still celebrate the the end product, I guess. 
it's not like I want to go back to the computers. I don't want to go back to any any format, any one of the iterations that the BCS transformed itself into to respond to the previous year. The one, I will give them credit about one thing, and then we'll move on, unless you just want to keep being mad. They haven't really changed anything this year. And the one thing that pissed me off the most, and if, if you're – if you've forgotten, if you're new to this, whatever, go read Dan Wetzel's book. You could skip the part where he proposes the playoff and goes into detail about that because we have one. But if you just read the history of the BCS, every single year it tried to update itself. It tried to correct itself. There yeah. was always an adjustment made. So you, you, you basically had no consistency. You had no precedent set. I like the fact that the committee, even with the TCU-Baylor uproar, has said, hey, you know what? We're going to do this again next year. We're going to do it the exact same way. I, I do like that. So let's get five years' worth of information on this. Yeah, let me just, I have a strong feeling that Stanford is going to lose to Notre Dame and then thus negate a Pac-12 participant in this playoff. And not quite as strong as the TCU-Baylor scheduling argument. Look, there's going to be an argument like that. There's going to be a thing like that in the 5-8 through eight range this offseason. My guess is now that it's going to be the Pac-12's problem with exposure, which is something we've talked about for years, but is now going to crystallize because of the selection committee. That's what the committee does. Yeah. Um, by the way, we've contradicted ourselves massively. Um, oh. We just said the coaches poll is kind of – it's going to be basically the coaches poll. Coaches poll is Clemson fifth right now. So hmm. we've either contradicted ourselves or we're, we're, we're about to be wrong. I think we're well. Then I guess history would tell us we're about to be wrong. I really hope not. I really, <laughs> I mean, you can make a case for LSU. You can make a case, I guess, for Ohio State. Whatever. Um, but Clemson's been the best team in the country, and they have a resume win. Um, uh, we did do this entire segment wrong. We should be looking at this top twenty-five and trying to figure out how what what the what the shift is going to be, if any. I will say they, they they will not go chalk on any on any poll. No, that'd be too obvious. They, they open themselves up to way too much there. <laughs> so right now it's one Ohio State, two Baylor, uh, three LSU, and oh, sorry, that was the fan poll on the on the right side of the page. Um, one Ohio State, two Baylor, three TCU, four LSU, five Clemson, six Michigan State. I don't see a top six without Alabama in it. Um. I'm because, really actually kind of curious how they handle Baylor and TCU because um, yeah. both of those teams in, in recent weeks have looked the part. They're up. In, in my ratings, they're actually up. They were really low after a few weeks. Uh, but even with a still weak strength of schedule, um, they've kind of they, – they, well, they've proven themselves. They've at least – you know, they, they've looked really good, uh, and especially Baylor. Um, but Baylor, you know, intent of scheduling right. is going to ding them. And I, I, by the way, I understand that we want as many good non-conference games as possible. And I think the natural draw of, you know, getting the exposure, getting the, you know, ABC to your, uh, you know, getting game day to your place, getting ABC, all those things should be enough. Um, but punishing the team on the field because of something the, uh, an associate athletic director did two years earlier is absurd. Um, you just—I mean that 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 completely negates the point of picking the best teams. Uh, but anywho, um, yeah, no, I, I guess this will be an interesting thing—the uh, test of playoff committee versus coaches poll. 
Clemson's number five, Baylor's number two. So I don't see that happening. No, I don't. Can you make, real quick before we transition out of this, or can you make an argument that doesn't involve advance? Like, so let's let's go in the let's go against the spirit of this program that doesn't involve. Can you make a layman's argument for Clemson over Ohio State for that number one spot? They looked good every single week, except maybe Louisville, and they've beaten um, Notre Dame, a better team than anybody Ohio State's beaten. Okay. It's good enough for me. I yeah. don't know if I, mean, I, I don't know if we're gonna have a brand name issue tonight. It's gonna be very interesting. Um, we talked about backloading earlier. The the Baylor TCU thing I think is what it is right now because of the schedules are so so badly backloaded. Also, um, not to put this thing in the ditch, but uh, I think that's also why you have an undefeated Oklahoma State right now. I don't think they're that. I don't think they're that caliber of, of team. But um, the Big Twelve has sort of purposefully engineered their schedule for this exact thing to happen, and that's okay. Um, this is their short term reaction to what happened last year. Uh, TCU and Baylor played each other on October was it the tenth maybe of last season. It was close to it. Um, it was not at the last, uh, ne- last or next last of the week. You know, whatever it is this year, I'll be there. It's the day after Thanksgiving, Black yeah. Friday. Um, Baylor has not played Oklahoma State yet. They will play on November 21st. TCU has not played Oklahoma yet. They will play on November 21st. Bedlam will be the last week of the season. Well, actually, not for the Big 12 because they right. play regular games or whatever. Um, I have no problem with this. I have no problem with the fact that this affects the early polling and the early committee polling and all that stuff because this is just sort of a template from which we're going to go to. Um, Do you have any issue with this? Does this bother you in any way? Well, I mean, in the end, as we saw this last weekend, even if you have a crap schedule of games, you're going to have fun. Um, There was less fun, like you said, before the evening than normal, but we still ended up coming – because of the evening, we ended up coming away from last week and thinking, damn, that was awesome. And so – in the end, we're going to do that whether you know, all the good Big 12 games are, are backloaded or not. And in theory, then, after a, a potentially fun, awesome first two months of the season, you have a really, really awesome last month of the season. Plus, you know, we need somebody to balance the SEC since they actually schedule a lot of – they try to schedule decent games in September. That means you end up with a bunch of crap SEC games in November. This balances that out. So, you know. I would, yeah, and I would hate to indict the Big 12 for doing this. When last year, was it the next to the last week of the season? Or no, it was like the, the second week of November when was seven SEC teams had like FCS homecoming type right. games. Um, it's kind of nice to have stuff spread out, but this is a direct reaction to the fact that the, their two best teams played each other in a marquee game that was sort of buried in the middle of the, of the season slate, and they wanted to change that and address it. Um, right. Yeah, I didn't okay. know. It's, it's not. I mean, th- nobody knew that TCU and Baylor were going to be the top two. I mean, Baylor obviously, but nobody knew that TCU was going to go that high. And so, yeah, I mean, that just kind of happened, right? Um, but it also it also stoked the TCU Baylor rivalry. I, I mean, not that it's a rivalry, <clears throat> but no. um, don't but spray it, paint. It stoked that nicely because for the rest of the season they had that battle cry. Um, what sixty one to fifty eight. Uh, so, you know, that, that added a certain <laughs> narrative to the season, but you know, whatever it's this, they've Baylor and TCU are both pretty high that, you know, even if they end up a lot lower than the coaches poll, they're still going to only be probably sixth or seventh. 
And if you start there and now you're playing a bunch of good opponents, that can probably only help you in the end. Here's where I think it really helps. Is it is a program like Oklahoma State that you have an undefeated that's in the top 15 right now that you sort of add on to the Baylor-TCU-Oklahoma triangle that we talked about. Having one extra team with Texas being so bad this year relative to their natural, national profile, um, that really helps because it just gives you one extra game where, again, just – you know, game day makes it a point to run down rank versus rank matchups a little more than they would any other uh, any other game. The fact that Oklahoma State hasn't really been tested yet, other than winning a shootout with a you know, I guess mediocre at best Texas Texas te- yeah, Texas Tech team, uh, that that can't hurt the Big Twelve. This is, I guess, the one thing I'm afraid of is that if other conferences start following suit and we just have this valley of stuff, <laughs> you know, this this just absolute like we have a strong Labor Day weekend. And by the way, as much as I criticize ESPN week to week, they're pretty much the sole reason that you see 70% of these games on the first two weeks of the season. Oh, Neutral yeah. sites, all this. I mean, that's, that's all ESPN. And then you go through nothing for four, five, six weeks. And then starting you know, Halloween on, it becomes this roller coaster from hell. So that's great because we're on the roller coaster now. Um, you can't count on the Duke-Miami you know, weirdness of the world. Are to you fill sure? The gaps. We've had it for three straight weeks. I, yeah, it's it's awesome, and it's it's tied. I, I definitely. Here's the funny thing: take away Georgia Tech, Florida State, take away Duke and uh, Miami, and then what's the third one that we've had? Michigan, 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 Michigan State. Yes, Michigan, Michigan State. Take away those endings, and you start to notice it has been sort of a thin, nondescript month, and. You don't want to see that happen. You want the sport to maintain its sort of must-see quality. And, I, and as much as you can see, well, there always seems to be something. It's it's impossible to bank on the the strangeness happening with that with that amount of consistency. So I think those plays and those talking points and those crazy, oh my gosh, what we call lookets at SB Nation, that's masked some otherwise nondescript weeks of football. How dare you? I know all pizza is good pizza, but. <laughs> But if you know, I think you're gonna start. To, you're gonna notice how how this month's pizza wasn't really that great in in about two weeks. Because even this weekend, we're looking at we're looking at good good football. Um, I, I haven't pulled up the the actual TV schedule. I don't know if 11 a.m. is still a valley, but um, it, this is the first strong week in in a strong finish for the season. I will say this uh, gives me more gives my bracket buster Saturday idea further heft. Um, if you cut one of the non-conference weeks in September and then in like the first week of November or second week, everybody, you basically get assigned a game. You're in, you're in pools based on how well you've done to date and everybody plays a game uh, against the team in that pool. Oh, wow. So wait, so, so you would. Okay. So trust me, I've written about this and and now here goes 10 minutes. Okay. So, um, Basically, you know, like I had Bracket Buster Saturday in basketball where the, the pool of teams was announced well ahead of time. And mm-hmm. then basically it was a, it was a way for mid-majors to play an extra good game is what it came down to. Uh, but you, like the pool is announced before the season. And then um, at some point, three or four weeks out, uh, they, all, they all get paired up kind of based on who's doing well and who's not. So you end up with a bunch of crap games in there. But then you give, you know, who, I don't even remember who's, who it was in basketball, but you gave a Creighton a chance to play, um, you know, a, a really good Mac team or you know, things like that. Basically an extra resume opportunity. So with football, 
uh, the way that would work uh, would be that, you know, we have 128 teams. That's kind of perfect. 64 of them before the season are, are is basically determined that they, they will have a home game and 64 will have a road game, and then the next year you switch. Um, so then based on how you rank at a certain date, three or four weeks out from this Saturday, um, you're separated into pools. I, I obviously, in my head, I use F+. You can use whatever the hell you want to. It would have to be a ranking of all 128. Um, and, and you would basically say that the top 32 are in pool A, top, the next 32 are in pool B. You don't do one versus two because that'd be a little, that would almost punish you for being too good too early. Uh, but you could very easily just like list out the top 16 teams that with the, with the home designation, top 16 with road, and then do like one versus 16. So like the, you know, in theory, you kind of end up with like one versus 32, two versus 31, et cetera. You could do 16 team pools and have one versus 16, uh, or like what number one home versus number eight road, blah, blah, blah. Um, but regardless, that gives those teams in that middle area, maybe not the number one team, but number eight through 20, an opportunity to play a, a good game in early November and prove themselves to a certain degree. And of course, that would give a Memphis or a Boise State or somebody like that a chance to play a real opponent, maybe even at home, um, with a lot on the line. Boom. So if there's an athletic director listening, um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna um, speak for them real fast. LOL. Nope. Well, of course not. This will never, ever happen. I'm just saying it, if, it, when there's a hostile takeover and I get to be commissioner of the sport. Um, oh, that's fine. We would have a – no, hell no, this would never happen. Just like, just like promotion and relegation would never happen because, uh, yeah. you know, that's the cool. Wake Forest we'll AD. I'll do uh, that one too. When I sack Indianapolis and, and the NCAA becomes sort of a um, – uh, more of a nationalist state. And um, we enforce things through a much more aggressive rule. I'll leave it at that. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll do all this stuff. Sure, I'll get bored. I'll get bored. I, I mean, hey, I'm a benevolent dictator. But hey, this means if your team is doing well, you get a really nice home game. And if your team is Missouri, you get a home game against, like, um, Louisiana Monroe. Game with UConn. <laughs> what, if you're UConn's- what, what if so what if college football listened to you right now and they did this in two weeks and they were just like hey bill you guys get uconn again i actually i think Next uconn's out idea. of our pool now i think they've actually done too well recently uh to be in our pool. no no actually no I'm, I'm wrong i'm looking at it now we're we're right there mashed together um actually who would it be let's see it would be like 65 it would basically be like missouri against <laughs> like Rutgers. Congrats, Bill. Good but idea. then at the same time, you would have like Michigan State versus Utah and TCU versus Memphis and Notre Dame versus like a, a UCLA or Duke or somebody like that. And of course, then teams that actually res- uh, schedule responsibly would hate this. Uh, and I guess technically Baylor would hate it too for different reasons. You know else would hate like, it? Ooh, Baylor would play like A&M. You know, who would, you know who else would really hate it? ESPN in the college football playoff. Hey, this makes their job easier. They get they nope. get more quality wins. That's they are not worried about that. <laughs> they are worried about creating the the most unique looking, rarest type of occurrence and having it happen twice that they can cash in on major ratings. If you create an environment similar to the playoff four weeks before, they're going to say it devalues their product. Huh. They'd be wrong, of course, but they are wrong. I'm just, I, and when I say these things, I'm not advocating for the evil empires. I'm just explaining to you how they think. 
Man, this actually, now that I'm remembering this idea that I was not planning on talking about at all today, by the way, um, when I came up with this, I think it was when Mark Cuban came up with that absurd, ridiculous idea five, six, seven years ago where, like, everybody's schedule's done in October and then you play one round and then winners play, like, another. It, it ends up being, like, a three-week elimination kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it was absurd, but it triggered uh, a little idea in my head of why couldn't we do that once? Everybody schedules one fewer non-conference game, and uh, we go to town. I'm telling you. Bill, they're moving the whole MFing playoff to New Year's Eve because of a parade. Okay? <laughs> they're, they're moving the whole thing after decades of revolt and espionage and just terrible luddite mentality they fix the problem they it's a huge success they make a ton of money they're moving it in the second year to new year's eve so some old white people in pasadena can have a parade (laughs) they're not going to embrace anything unless there's a gun to their head well that's like hey now that's the kind of attitude i like (laughs) right Okay. USC Navy. That'd be fun. Oklahoma, Houston. Hey, by the way, speaking of backloaded schedules, the official conference of the podcast ain't played nobody. Backloaded schedule. You can go to that old American Athletic Conference. I'm just saying. Temple, Memphis, they hadn't played yet. Navy. Oh, yeah. They hadn't played yet. I can't imagine that was even – I guess maybe they could have sort of seen some of that coming. But, yeah, they've kind of stumbled into the best scheduling possible. I think that uh, Navy and Houston actually are the undercard for TCU Baylor on Black Friday. Oh, yes. Pretty sure that's the uh, – I'm pretty sure that's the schedule because I remember Tom Herman telling me he was – I don't know if that quote made the story or not, but he was like, yeah – talking about how adamant the AAC is about their their unique scheduling to get exposure. And he goes, yeah, thanks a lot, Mike Oresco. We get to play Navy with one last day to prep. They're playing Navy, yes, on the 27th. I'm sure he's happy about that. One of the other possible bracket buster uh, matchups right now, Ohio State-Toledo. God, dream a little dream, Bill. Clemson-West Virginia. Well, okay, that would have been good, like, Two months ago, but not now. Hey, that would be awesome, only because it could get Holgerson fired after <laughs> the Bill Stewart. Alabama Cal. LSU Western Kentucky. Oh, wait. Alabama Cal would be a murder scene. But it would be awesome. It, maybe it would be in Berkeley. It would be neat. You'd have to get new carpet after that. Um, <laughs> okay, let's look at this week. Other than that one minor football game in Tuscaloosa, what jumps out at you? And by the way, 11 a.m. isn't a super good. Notre Dame-Pitt? That, that's, your, that's your 11 a.m. viewing. Wow. Which is not a bad football game. Yeah. And Pitt has a, a puncher, a, you know, a fighter's chance. Baylor-Kansas State on Thursday night, because it's on Thursday night and because, you know, K-State tends to usually play uh, Baylor well, that would be at least entertaining and prevent people from having to watch Missouri-Mississippi State at least. Um, 
I'm happy that there's football all week because he talked about how excited I was last week, but I don't know how much of it I'm actually going to get to watch, such as life. Um, what, um, so uh, you're going to be out there, uh, I assume you're, you're going to be pounding the beers and, and fist bumping and getting ready for that Mississippi State game? Well, no, because everybody in, uh, in the Missouri fan base lives two hours away and won't be able to get to Columbia Thursday night until no, like 6 or no 6.30. Tent. No tent, straight to the game. Yeah, uh, we're going to try to meet for dinner, basically. You know, a real rocking college football scene at a, at a local wow. restaurant. I'm, sounds very Notre Dame of you. Don't I know. And there's no other option. It's just, uh, and it's going to be raining. It's, anyway. Hey, uh, oh, secret secret bad. Um, uh, sh- uh, I like miserable stuff. I haven't really come up with a name for this segment yet. Kentucky, <laughs> Georgia. Uh. That, that, could be, that could be a nail there. That could be a big nail. That could be like a could be like one of those three-inch uh, wood screws. Really, really put the lid of that coffin on there tight, in case you didn't know what I was applying. Um, Texas Tech, West Virginia, that's just fun. That's 11 a.m. By the way, Kentucky has been horrific the last two weeks. Absolutely awful. Yeah, what happened? Because he's a guy that everyone keeps... <sighs> yeah, he's, been, he's mentioned for the Miami job. That shortlist game? Mark Stoops has been on the shortlist for a lot of jobs. And a lot of coaches, I mean, I've, I've never, how do I say this diplomatically? Based on people I've talked to, he's never been, I've never been under the impression that Stoops was going to die in Lexington. Well, no. And then he had a four and one team, I think, at one point. Yeah, and they were, I think they were five and one last year. And, and yeah. you know, again, they really hadn't, uh, they ain't played nobody. Um, no. So, but I mean, they still, they almost beat Florida in September. They beat Missouri before Missouri's offense was completely demoralized, at least. Um, they beat South Carolina before South Carolina was completely demoralized. Um, and then, they, but yeah, they, they narrowly lost that Auburn game and they've just gotten massacred. And, and Mississippi State and Tennessee are both good. Yeah. Um, but they're not that good. They, they're not 94 to 37 good. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, if, if they go into Athens and lose and win, then, um, I, you know, i I really like Mark Richt and I, I think he gets kind of, you know, I, I can make a pretty fair case to, for, for him at all times, but that, that turns into one of those situations where I just kind of back off and say, I, I can't, <laughs> you know, you want to fire Mark Rick because you just lost to Kentucky at home. Um, I, I don't really have a, there's no comeback for that. It just, mm-hmm. you know, if, mm-hmm. if it has to happen, it, then, then go ahead. But um, if you're one of the, uh, if you're a fan of one of the two lost teams that are in the top 25 or even, even really the, the one lost teams on the on kind of the South side of those rankings, assuming that they'll be that way when the committee selection comes out, you need to, you honestly need to start watching these games like Navy Memphis and Houston and Cincinnati, because, um, that has to shake out, I think, a certain way for the for for all of those schools to miss consideration. Uh, one of them is is uh, I am firmly convinced that the the champion of the AAC will get that um, yeah. at large bowl bid. But you don't want any playoff contender if you're if you're a fan of a team like UCLA or Utah or Ole Miss or Michigan. And then let's see. Well, I, so I'm, I got the schedule pulled up. Yeah, first of all, yeah. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt, Florida, that's for all the marbles in the SEC East. That is going to decide a conference champion. <laughs> uh, division, at least. And then you've got, well, you do have, I think the most interesting game early is Duke, North Carolina. Because um, that will determine who the Clemson, Florida State winner will play probably um, the next week. Although Duke obviously has less margin for error now that they, after last week, but... 
Iowa State has already beaten Oklahoma uh, by a transitive property. That's true. Badly, I might add. Like, bad, bad. Um, uh, the evening slate is not the best. Minnesota to Ohio State. Yeah, um, the afternoon good. slate is actually kind of the best here. Um, yeah, probably Florida State and Clemson. It's old school here. And, of course, LSU-Alabama is going to suck up all the oxygen. But that, Not really familiar with that game. Oh, uh-huh. oh, Louisiana State, um, they uh, have a pretty good running back, at least. Um, oh. Sounds like a Big Ten school to yeah. me. Yeah, and this, I mean, Alabama, you know, they lost to a team that lost to Memphis, so I don't really know how good they yeah. are, but... I don't uh, understand why everyone's so jacked up for that. Yeah. It sounds pretty terrible to me. Hey, Kansas is at Texas. <laughs> good bounce back there. Uh, By the way, I this was a nice... Texas this week was a nice uh, experiment in... Let's not pretend a team is a brand new team because of two weeks. Uh, Bill, Bill, are you arguing with my unwritten story? Because it sounds like you're arguing with my unwritten story. I hope I'm not. I, yeah, because a, a, a man spends two weeks embedded in reporting and talking to donors and boosters, and a man comes up with a thesis, okay? And a man starts to write about with that thesis in mind. And he doesn't make assumptions, but he makes generalizations at certain points because that's what a writer does. <laughs> and, then, and then that man, that writer, says, you know what? Uh, I should watch Iowa State Texas. I should DVR it. That way I can see if some of these theories are, are carrying out, if the narrative's construct is going to hold. And then it doesn't. And then a man is left to wonder, I don't know what to do with this story. <laughs> When uh, when the hypothetically, picks, of course, when my, hypothetically, when my picks went up on um, on Thursday, it had Iowa State beating Texas because their overall rating was better. Uh, because again, Texas had been good for two weeks, but not the two to three weeks before that. Right. Um, and Iowa State really just—they're not terrible at the very least. But anyway, I, I didn't really love the pick that that they had. I was that Iowa State was projected to win, but I got more pushback on that one. Like, really? That one kind of stands out. That's ridiculous. Texas is clearly better. I don't see how Texas loses this game. I'm like, well, they can only run the ball. They can't. If you can somehow slow that down, they can't pass. They can't even pretend to pass. They're, so they're not. Uh, you know. If, maybe they can run on you and you and they win, but they are still incredibly flawed. Um, so yes, I was not pushing back on this hypothetical story uh, so much as the people on Twitter who said that's ridiculous. Oh, this hypothetical story's got a. He needs like a new leg now. I got to figure <laughs> out. We're gonna have to get it fitted for a prosthetic. It's not good. Um, the uh, last two things I noticed on the schedule: um, Minnesota, Ohio State feels like this could be the the scare that ends up biting them and then um although it's it's going to be hard the way you lose at home like that on national television physical game i think probably the most aggressive team on defense in the big 10 to then come off of that and go to columbus maybe i'm I think I may be wishing more than I am. Yeah, Minnesota hasn't there. actually been very good. They played really no. well last week. Um, you just they, want that game to be what you think, you know, right. even if it's an Ohio State win and I'm not cheering against the Buckeyes. Or you, you want that game to be as competitive as an, and, and interesting as last week's game against Michigan was. And now, even with the quarterback situation at Ohio State, you kind of feel like, oh, it's, I might be projecting there. And then the last thing is um, some good sadness porn. But also, th- this will be Sunday mornings. Um, hot, uh, can't believe they're on the hot seat. Click for sideshow, slideshow. Um, internet take will be the loser of Auburn and A and M. Yeah, without, without a doubt. 
Yeah, looking at those, by the way. Game, someone leaves that game with a, with a kingdom uh, filled with unrest. I, um, the first thing I noticed here is that the over-under for LSU, Alabama, and Auburn A&M is only six and a half points difference. Really? I did not expect that. Uh, but this is, uh, this is your new Auburn. So, uh, you know, a team that tries to win with no big plays whatsoever. My 2015 pick for SEC champion. I, see, I, I get to pretend like I got this one right, even though I still had Auburn as like a top 10 team. I just didn't think they were um, top five. Therefore, mm-hmm. I was right that they are now, you know, top 80. <laughs> they are top 80. Maybe. Um, I haven't verified that. They're, uh, they're closer to 80 than they are to 10. Um, so, yeah, uh, my advice this weekend, keep an eye on the AAC, even if you don't care and you don't think our jokes are funny about the AAC. And um, uh, there's a lot of good football on, regardless of uh, that one running back going against the team that lost to Ole Miss who lost to Memphis. The five teams ranked ahead of Auburn right now in F+. Western Michigan, Minnesota, South Florida, Southern Miss, Illinois. Jesus, Southern, really? Southern Miss, by the way, 6-3. and three. Say, Southern Miss, bowl eligible, reclamation project. Damn straight. I'm not saying they're next year's Memphis by any stretch, but I am saying that the the tire fire, the the dumpster fire, whatever situation um, on that campus, within that program, financially, mentally, all that all that stuff. And Hattie, I used to cover Southern Miss when I was a newspaper reporter. I really thought there was no coming back. Uh, give give Munkin a lot of credit down there. They've they've done they've done really well this year. Yeah, I know a strange number of people who graduated from Southern Miss just compared to other like, you know, Conference USA schools, it's a it's a high number. Um and so I get to feel good for them. So that's nice. Yeah, and um when they're good they can they can get that the MM Roberts Stadium, the rock in Hattiesburg off Highway forty nine. They can get it going. So good for them. Um all right. Anything else, Bill? Um I think you know, I, I told you we didn't need questions today. No, we didn't. Yeah, I thought I thought we'd do gonna, okay. uh, we're going to do an extra podcast this week. Tomorrow morning, I'm just going to call you and have you rewatch. I'm going to make you DVR the selection committee. On yeah, because I'm not going to be watching live. All right. You're going to DVR that, and I just want you to watch it. Okay? We'll just have audio of your reaction, which will just be a long, prolonged series of sighs. And then it'll be our gift to the listeners. It'll kind of be like white noise, you know, if you're stuck in a hotel room that's noisy. You just put on Bill's exasperated, breathy reactions to the selection committee. I, I, and it'll lull you right to sleep. I cannot. I cannot tell you how much my anxiety just went from like zero to fourteen. Uh, the thought of that. So, so thanks. Get ready for a number five cleansing. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next okay. Week. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>